Um, we're in this series, and I just called it an invitation to intimacy. I think Barry was the one that said, oh, invitation to intimacy. That's like eye to eye. And I just didn't have the courage to actually play the pun out, but Marvin did, and I appreciate that. Good work. So we're talking about being eye to eye with Jesus. It's an invitation into intimacy. And the first week we talked about pruning. Uh, I defined that as clinging to Jesus purely. The second week, Marvin uh, led us through a journey on sort of gateways to intimacy. If you have not listened to Marvin's message, go on our website, indievineyard.org, and listen to that. Uh, Lots of uh, beautiful invitations into intimacy there. And then last week, we talked about remaining in Jesus. And I said that the practical outflow of that was meeting Jesus daily in this practice of uh, being in his presence in prayer and taking in his word, uh, the word of God. Um, This week, I want to talk about obedience. And in my mind, that is defined as following Jesus freely. So hopefully you got a um, a half sheet of paper, uh, and it's got John 15, 9 to 17 on it. If you didn't get that, or of all things, if you have a Bible with you, open your Bible and take a look at that. Here's what I discovered studying this passage this week. I couldn't get through the passage with just um, a cursory reading of the scripture. Like every time I wrote something down, I felt like I had to go back to the words of scripture again. And so how does that work? Because Jesus kind of weaves a tale. I mean, there are a lot of interconnected concepts, and I just didn't want to miss any of them. So um, so let's read the scripture. I'll read it. You can read along. Why don't you stand as we receive the word of God? This is from John 15, 9 to 17. This is Jesus speaking, and this is the word of the Lord to us. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. You can be seated. So I look at a passage like this, and one of the first things I ask in studying it for myself is, God, what are you asking of me? You know, what is it that you're, you're inviting or commanding me to do in this, in this passage? So there are a lot of concepts, but the the two commands I think that everything hangs on are these. There's this command with an application, remain in Jesus' love. And then that's like a vertical command, remain in Jesus' love. And, And then there's a horizontal command, love one another. And again, it's with an application. It's in the same way that I loved you. So it's almost like a, you know, another paraphrase of the great commandment. You know, this vertical, remain in my love, and then this way, love one another in the same way that I've loved you. 
So Jesus uh, extends this invitation to receive God's love and then stay there. To have a revelation of God's love, to receive the, the perfect love of God, and then just to stay there, just to remain there. Um, the whole passage starts with this kind of, can you go back to the beginning there, Mike? The whole passage starts with this, um, not that far, thanks, <laughs> this jarring statement. I have loved you even as the Father loved me. That's a remarkable statement. That's jarring. It, it may not be for you sitting here because we've read the Bible and we've heard a lot about love. But imagine if you had never read the Bible before or had never had an interaction with Jesus. And this person who you knew was God incarnate. God incarnate there at the creation of all things, through whom nothing was created that was created, by whom all things were created, for whom all things were created, incarnate God. And he looks at you and he says, I have loved you, past tense, ongoing nature, just as the Father has loved me. It's, it's mind-blowing. I'm certain that that is one of those truths that if any human being were able to understand and live fully in the reality of that truth, that person would be a person as like we've never seen before. I mean, the, the amount of power and love that would flow through a person who could take that for what it's worth. Jesus says, Imagine the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. There's no separation. I mean, Trinity, right? Three persons, one God, unity in Trinity. How does it work? I don't know. It's God we're talking about. And Jesus says, with the exact same passion, purity, power that God the Father loved me, I'm, I've loved you. That's, I don't know, what do you do with that? I mean, I think we just have to sort of say, yeah, boy, that's awesome. Like, awesome doesn't really work for that one. This is the creator communicating uh, uh, an extent of love that I just don't think we can grasp. And I think that this is why in Ephesians you see Paul writing these strange prayers that are like, I pray that you would be filled to the utmost of all the amazing possibilities of love, if even you could. He doesn't even know how to say it. Because this promise of Jesus that he's loved us with the same love, same intensity, same purity, same power, that the Father loved him. So Jesus makes the declaration and he says, there you have it. Now stay there. I've loved you more completely, more purely, unconditionally than anyone else will ever be able to love you. Now stay there. Don't move. Maybe you remember the illustration I gave last week. I was standing up front and this uh, light was shining off someone's car through that little slit in the door. And I could just feel, you know, the warmth of the sun on, on my eyes if I stayed right there. And it was a perfect picture for me of what it means to remain in the Father's love. It doesn't mean that I won't ever do anything. It just means that I will only move to the extent that the Father moves. I'll only do in love what I see the Father doing in love. I'll only react as I see the Father reacting. It's a, 
It's a whole different mindset of life. So much more about being than doing. And I think it's hard for us Westerners to take that. But there it is. Jesus is not asking us to do something he didn't do because he remained in his father's love perfectly. So Jesus says, receive the love of God and then stay there. Get the love of God just like I got it from the Father and then just stay in it. And then he tells us, what does it look like to remain in the Father's love? That sounds nebulous. And Jesus says this, it looks like obedience. If you obey my commands, you remain in my Father's love. So Jesus tells us what remaining looks like. It looks like obedience. So it's actually incredibly simple, if not easy, to remain in God's love. It, I mean, it is as simple as do what Jesus said. And I'm not trying to be childish about it or, or, you know, trite, but that's what Jesus says. Here's the love of the Father. It's beyond your ability to understand. Stay there. This is what it looks like to stay in my love. Do what I say. Obedience. Read the words. Do the words. Take the words in. Live the words out. It's obedience. <clears throat> so I was, you know, looking at the scripture and realizing Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't already do. You know, receive my love like I receive the Father's love. Remain in my love like I remain in the Father's love. Obey me like I obey the Father. Right? It's just over and over. And Jesus says, now you do it just like me. So I was looking in the scriptures for a picture of obedience, a picture of, God, of Jesus remaining in the Father that ended in obedience, and I ended up at the cross. So I, I imagine Jesus in the garden. Remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He's there, and, and, and the Father is clearly asking him to give his life as a ransom for all mankind. And Jesus says to the Father, paraphrase, is there any other way? And Jesus was in perfect communion with the Father. He lived in perfect humility and perfect obedience. And in the midst of this call from God, Jesus says to the Father, could we just talk about this? Like, is there any other way? I think Jesus is pleading with the Father. I mean, he was sweating blood, right? Please. There's got to be another way. And then the heart of Jesus, the obedient heart of Jesus, that wants to remain in the Father's love perfectly, expresses to God the Father, if there's any other way, but what? Not my will, but your will be done. And that obedience... For Jesus, remaining in the Father's love, obedience, looked like what? It looked like pain. It looked like suffering. It looked like sacrifice. It felt to Jesus like rejection. It felt to Jesus like rejection. Jesus says to God, why have you forsaken me? So I, I, I looked at that, I sat in it, and I realized that it's fun to talk about God loves you, remain in God's love. It's a little harder to say, what does that mean? Obedience. And even a little bit more harder to recognize that if we're imitating Jesus, then obedience 
Remaining in God's love will sometimes feel like pain, suffering, sacrifice, a feeling of rejection and betrayal, all countered by only one thing, unmitigated trust. So Jesus in the garden, knowing the whole plan of eternity, wanting to remain in the Father's love, wanting to obey, realizing that obedience is going to be difficult, he submits his will to the Father and says, I'll take it. I'll do it. And I honestly do think that's what obedience looks like for us. That is what obedience looks like for us. But, but the story gets better. <laughs> because there we are with remaining and obedience and sacrifice and all of that stuff. And then Jesus turns right around. I mean, like the next minute in his speech to the disciples. And he says this. I've told you these things for a reason. Do you remember the reason? so that you would have my joy. And you've got to think the disciples are doing like a, you know, a brain tilt. Okay, obedience, um, difficulty, do whatever God says, and you're saying, this is for my joy. Jesus makes a prophetic declaration. My joy will overflow in you. That's the prophetic declaration for us this, this morning. As obedient followers of Jesus, his joy is to overflow in us. We don't have to make that happen. It's his declaration. What's our part? Obey. Obey. Obedience doesn't earn us joy, but obedience is, I love, don't worry, I love the baby. <laughs> it's just a hearty amen. But obedience results in joy. So remember, the writer to the Hebrews is, is telling us about Jesus in the garden or on the cross, I think. And Hebrews 12, he says this, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Despising the shame, all that means is it really wasn't fun for him. And now has sat down at the right hand of the Father. So that means when we're standing in front of a command of Jesus... Remain in my love, and that means obedience, and that might mean difficulty. That part of the motivation for obedience there is there's joy before us, right? There's joy set before us. Many of you, I would say most of you, at some point in your Christian life have experienced the, the power of joy that comes from obedience. There's, there's an incredible joy that comes from obedience, because obedience... I'm just follow me down the line here. Remaining in God, obedience, um, remain in my love, obedience could be difficult, unmitigated trust results in joy and expresses itself in what freedom. I mean, that's really where obedience ends in freedom. And it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's not. I mean, that's the upside down nature of the kingdom. Um, so I've told stories before about when Jane and I were first married and we were overseas as missionaries. And um, I remember one specific encounter. So I must have been 25 or 26. I don't know. We'd been married two years. And um, I was still dealing with uh, lust, temptation, and all of that. I just I thought as a, as a 21-year-old um, groom that, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to be crass about it, but 
once you can be intimate anytime you want, you will never have to worry about any temptation. <laughs> that's not true. Men, that's not true, right? Um, and so I was still dealing as a missionary with, with lust. And this is pre-internet. This is 1988, all right? So if you're in living in Europe at that point, I mean, you could open a, you could open a newspaper and there was a naked woman in it. I don't know why they do it that way in Europe, but it's true. And so I just was dealing with that. And there was a guy on my team, my leader, who was really helping me work through. This is what it means to get your satisfaction in Jesus. This is what it looks like to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. This is how you use your prayer language, the power of the Holy Spirit, to overcome temptation. This is how you fight with weapons from heaven. And um, so I, I was just in this place of incredible, God was teaching me and I was... And I had had this freedom, you know, of like, maybe I can be a pure man. And it was a Monday morning. I was walking from our apartment down to the train station. I was going to get on the train to go about, you know, 10 miles to a refugee camp where I was going to tell the refugees how much Jesus loved them and the power that God had for them because I was a missionary and that was my job. And so I'm walking down. It's kind of a glorious morning. The sun's shining. I walk down. There's no one at the train station. I stand in the train station. I look down. There's a pornographic magazine on the ground laid open in front of me. I'm standing there. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, God, I mean, couldn't you be on my side here? Like, I'm struggling. I'm fighting. Like, I'm longing for purity. I'm confessing my sin. Come on. How about a little, a little help over here? And I looked down on it, and I realized all the temptation, I could scoop it up. No one would ever know. Isn't that the big lie of the enemy? No one will ever know, and it won't hurt anyone, right? And I looked down at it, and I just remember, I, I'm, it's just the Holy Spirit. It's just grace. I just remember realizing, I don't have to do that. I'm free. And I turned away for a moment. I turned away, and joy flooded me. Like, I don't know if I'd experienced it. Like, it was, it was a nanosecond of obedience, um, immediately followed by minutes and hours and days and weeks of joy. Because from obedience is this recognition that we're free, right? It, it's, again, it's counterintuitive. But when Jesus says, obey my commands and you'll remain in my love, what's the gift? It's joy. And part of that joy is I'm no longer bound by my addictions. I don't have to say yes to the enemy. I don't have to go somewhere impure to get my needs met. I don't have to be wrapped up in my self-protection and my lying and my, all my stuff, right? I'm free. And there's an unbelievable joy that comes from freedom. And that's why I think the writer to the Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't fun for Jesus, but he could somehow see through the pain, to the joy. And I think it's our invitation. Jesus wants us to just, in those moments, to be able to see through the pain to the joy. If we choose the other avenues, the pain will go away for a moment. Right? I mean, we all know it. It's momentary satisfaction, no matter what your addiction or your, your substitute God is. But for the joy set before him, Jesus said no. I'm taking the pure way. And yes, it was painful, but it resulted in joy. That's the vertical part of this passage. That's remain in my love. Receive it in its fullness and then remain in it. And I was thinking, 
So Jesus' offer on the table, well, I thought of it like this. So Jesus, you're saying your offer on the table to me as a follower of you in John 15, 9 to 17 is this. Here's my love and here's my joy. And I thought to myself, was there something else I wanted in life? Was there something else I was hoping for? Perfect love, overflowing joy. I don't know. What? My name on a book? No thanks. (laughs) I'll take the love and the joy, please. Moments of satisfaction, you know, followed by all sorts of pain and agony and accusation. No, I think I'll take the love and the joy. That's the option. I mean, that's the choice. We really get to cooperate with God. It's an invitation into intimacy. Our part is simple, if not easy. It's obedience. And God's part is life-changing, if not readily grasped. And it's joy. And it's freedom. So that's the vertical part of this. That's the vertical invitation. The, The horizontal command here is to love one another like Jesus loved us. So I titled this message, Obedience, uh, Loving Jesus Freely, Following Jesus Freely, because the whole passage is about doing exactly what Jesus did. He's not, bless you, he's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. It's not, Jesus, it's not like Jesus saying, I was God, I had it easy, but you, you know, toe the line. Everything that Jesus asks us to do, he has already done, not by virtue of his divinity, but via his humanity in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's just what the gospel tells us. And so we can know, 1 Corinthians 13, no temptation has overtaken us, but such as is common to man or woman, including Jesus has dealt with this temptation. But God is faithful, and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. But with the temptation, we'll always provide the way of escape, even if that means going through the pain to the joy, so that we may be able to endure it. And then the promise on the other side is this freedom. So Jesus says, here's the horizontal command, love one another just like I loved you. And then, in case we didn't know what love looked like, kind of like remaining sounds nebulous, and then we realize, oh, it looks like obedience. I understand that one. Loving one another sometimes feels obedience, feels uh, nebulous. But Jesus tells us exactly what love for one another looks like. It emulates the love of Jesus. And what's he say? He just goes into the next part. Um, No greater love has anyone than this. He lays down his life for his friend. So Jesus doesn't hold love up here like send a nice card. Jesus brings love down here and says, here's what it'll look like. You consistently put others before you. Humility, service, sacrifice. Not me, but you. Jesus increases, I decrease. That's that's what it looks like. And if you think about it, so we're in John 15. We're in the upper room discourse. Jesus is on a roll. He's given a four-chapter sermon, right? And the disciples don't yet realize what's going to happen in hours. They don't yet know it. But Jesus says, this is what love looks like. Lay down your life for your friends. John 12 and John 13, Jesus has already told them, hey, guys, this is how it has to go down. The Son of Man has to suffer and be killed. 
And I just don't think they got it, you know, because what was in the mind of the disciples? Same thing that would have been in our mind. (laughs) This dude has power. He knows the scriptures in and out. Demons flee at his name and he chose us. This is looking real good, right? You know, I'll be on his left hand. You'll be on his right hand. You know, I imagine clothes, a crown. This is going to be really, really good. And Jesus says, there's another part in between. There's this reality of suffering. And so Jesus has told them this, but they don't quite get it. But imagine the disciples after the whole thing is done, you know. Can you just see him sitting in the upper room discussing like, wow, he's dead. Wow, he's dead. Remember that thing he said? No greater love has anyone. He laid down his life for his friends. Wow. Now we know what love looks like. That's probably at the point at which Jesus, you know, emerges through the wall and like, hey there. <laughs> right? But Jesus gives a real clear picture of what love's, love looks like. It's not a nebulous thing. It's not just love conquers all because it's a nice idea. The way love conquered our sin was by cross, crucifixion, resurrection. Obedience, joy, freedom. In the same way, our love to one another will look like humility, service, sacrifice. It's very, very practical. In a healthy marriage, this is happening every single day, right? One is saying to the other, I love you and I'll lay myself down for you. No, I love you and I'll lay myself down for you. So Paul says in Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus showed us what love looked like. Just bow down, right? And serve. In laying down our lives for others, true humility, true sacrifice, real service, we're loving as God loves. That's exactly what it looks like. And I don't really have to give you application for that. Because your invitation to sacrifice happens every day in your life. Jesus gives it to you every single day. But there's one last piece of good news in the midst of this, the the gospel emerging in the midst of Jesus' message here, and that's this. Even this self-sacrificing love is not motivated by some sort of, you know, he did it for me, so I have to do it for him. Or some sort of, well, he, light, he, he loves me, but if I, if, I, if I do more, he'll love me more. Because Jesus takes another turn in the passage. Remember he says, no greater love has this for anyone that he lays down his life for, for his friends. And then Jesus turns like a big redemptive corner and he says, you're my friends. If you do what I say, you're my friends. Because I've told you everything that the father's told me. Do you remember your very best friend in junior high? Your very best friend in junior high, you got the secret. You know, your mom and dad said, we're going to move, but you can't tell anyone. Or we're getting a new car, but you can't tell anyone. Or whatever. And you couldn't hold it in because the news was so amazing. So you went to your very best friend and said, here's what my father said. Don't tell anyone. Fortunately, there was no Facebook at that time, so you had to pass notes in study hall, right? Now it's blabbed all over the place. But Jesus is just saying, you know, you're not a slave anymore because if you were a slave, I wouldn't have revealed everything to you. No, you're my friends. We're intimate. And, you know, it goes further in the rest of the New Testament. 
Jesus right here to the disciples. He's talking about all these big things, remain and obedience and difficulty and trust and love one another and sacrifice and all that. But then he says, don't worry. This is all empowered by this reality. You're not doing it to earn something. You're doing it because you're my friend. And one step further, the Apostle Paul will take us, we're not just friends of God, we're sons of God. We're daughters of God. We're heirs of Christ. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Jesus came all the way down to earth and gave his life so that he could elevate us all the way up to heaven because that's where we stand right now, seated in heavenly places. And so we walk out this command to love God and to love our neighbor all from this place of incredible privilege. We're sons and daughters. And in the very end, Jesus says, I mean, I imagine Jesus said, I know this is blowing all your mind and you don't know what to do with this. And you're coming up with all sorts of excuses why this can't be for you. And then Jesus, just to make sure we don't think it's about us, he says, just remember our relationship of friendship. That wasn't up to you. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me. I chose you. I elected you. I spoke you into being, and then I called you to be one with me. Jesus said, I chose you. We do not get to determine our walk with God, friends. If Jesus says you're one of mine, we don't get to go through all the reasons why we're not good enough. He loves you, but he does not want to hear it. Because he says, you didn't choose me. This didn't start at your initiative. This started at my initiative. Now live in it. That's it. That's the invitation to live in it. Jeff, will you come forward and would the ministry team come forward? Lynn, would you come up and start to worship? Um, I think there are lots of invitations this morning. Um, Some of those invitations I have on the screen in terms of response, but I'm not going to go through them. You can read them as Lynn begins to worship. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come again and to speak and to move and to act. God wants to do beyond anything we can ask or dream or pray or imagine. And that's not for someone else. It's for you. And it's for today.